Thank you, Marilyn. Thanks for everyone who uh, is making this possible today. Good morning. Uh, kids, if you're here this morning and you have a coloring page, um, I'd like to ask that you uh, give your undivided attention to those coloring pages if you'd like. And uh, afterwards, uh, Cadence and Chloe will be picking those up and we're going to try to to display those. And so uh, I just uh, want you to be a part of it and hopefully you got that. Mom and dad on the back of those sheets are things for you to share with your children uh, at home. And so if you, uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians 4, Romans 12, and 1 Corinthians 12, so I apologize for that, but I'll try not to walk you through as, as much. As we're continuing through our study in the letter to the church at Ephesus, we see a progression of thought with the great apostle Paul. He's moving from the intensely doctrinal or the theological to the practical. He's moving from this theological thought towards application. And by a way of introduction, I just want to say to you that our theology, and I would emphatically say must, impact, drive, shape, mold, and determine our behavior. So in other words, theology, our thought process or our study of what we think God is or who God is, should impact how we live. And as we turn to this letter, there is a a book that quotes uh, Dr. John Stott, an Anglican pastor, and here's what he says about the Ephesian letter. He says, this whole letter is thus a magnificent combination of Christian doctrine and duty, faith, Christian faith, and Christian life. What God has done through Christ and what we must be and do in consequence. I want to remind us this morning that what we're after is not behavior modification. We are not some kind of therapeutic sinner. But this morning, what we're here, and as, I, as, as, as we were singing this morning, I had this immediate thought process that we're here because of a relationship. We're not here uh, to add something else to our calendar. We're here out of this divine, great love that we have for the Lord Jesus Christ that has been given to us through our Heavenly Father, a good, good Father, I may add, through the power of the Holy Spirit. We didn't come here necessarily this morning just to improve our individual lives, although I hope that happens. But rather what we're about this morning is the worship of the Lord and Savior of the universe. And if you think I'm beating that drum, you're right. I'm trying to beat that drum over and over and over. Because what we're about this morning is worshiping the one who is from eternity to eternity. As Paul writes in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, he says that we have a unique position in Christ. It's, we have indescribable riches through Christ. And as we come to chapter 4 once again, we're turning the corner and we're reminded that if we've been born again, if God has saved us, then our lives must reflect this new birth. In other words, he says in Ephesians chapter 4 that we should walk in a manner or live in a manner that immediately comes or communicates those who we come in contact that we have been impacted by the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Stop and just think. 
Did you communicate with all those you came in contact this week by just the way you acted and the things that you talked about that your life has been impacted by the good news of Christ? We've been saved out of the world. We've been delivered from Satan and sin and self and given this new life as a part of the body of Christ. And that's one of the things that that Paul loves to use is this illustration of the body of Christ. We're united but diverse. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, we're part of one body, one spirit. We have one hope. We have one Lord. We have one faith. We have one baptism. We have one God and Father of all, through all, and in all. In other words, that word one is over seven times because he's trying to say you're united. We are a church. And, and I, I, was, I was listening this week and, and studying, and I was reminded that the word church, ecclesia, literally means called out ones. And I, and I want to communicate, and I hope we understand this, it's only by the grace of God, but if you're here this morning, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters in Christ, God is doing something. He has called you out of the world to be a part of this body, whether you believe that or not. It's not by accident that you're here. It's not by sure coincidence. You see, God has always been creating a people for himself. Maybe you have been reading along with the rest of us in Genesis, but if you remember, there was how God established this people after Adam and Eve. He established them by calling out who? Abraham. It was a church. He was calling them out. What did he say? I'm going to make you a special people. And then he calls them out one by one. And if you read the story, it's one messed up person after another. But what's God doing? He's calling them out, setting them apart, growing them up, maturing them. For what reason? So he can eventually create the one who's coming, his son, Jesus Christ. The church is not a human invention. We're a part of something that God instituted. We're not an organization we're not a, you're not a card-carrying member of this church. Although we are members, much as a hand, as Courtney and Josh read, a hand is a part of the body, the foot. What we're a part of is a living organism. Does that make sense? Don't, don't ever think that this is just something you add to your life. In verse 13 of chapter 4, if you're there with me, he says that we're, the church is there to exist, to bring us to the maturity and the unity of faith. That's a word. The knowledge of the Son of God, He wants us to be mature to the stature of fullness of Christ. And so we're maturing each other, and that's the purpose of the church. And the church has been gifted, which we're going to talk about some today, to help guard our lives. And, and aren't you glad? I just, just stop and think for a moment. Just think about all the saints that you have been a part of your life. It may be grandparents, it may be parents, it may be a Sunday school teacher. Just think about all the guardrails that God has put in your life to help guard you. And that's what we're here for. We're, yeah, we want you to grow, but God's gifted this church to help guard our lives. And the ultimate purpose is to glorify Christ. Again, I'm beating that drum over and over. Last week we saw that in our text that the Apostle Paul is referring us to Psalm 68. It's the image of a conquering king who has conquered his enemies and in his train, if you will, behind him brings the spoil of victory. Paul clearly wants people to see Jesus. 
the one who was victorious, bearing gifts, gifts for his bride, his people, his body. And so that brings us to today, to the gifting of the church. Spiritual gifts or gifts of the church is one of those things that had a lot of traction in the last few decades. But as I thought through this message, I, I wondered if it really did anything like we had intended to or hoped for. Sometimes well-intended things uh, just kind of fizzle out. And I think that the teaching, although maybe not all wrong, the teaching about spiritual gifts missed a few things. So, and I'm not, I'm not saying that as I'm the, the end-all, be-all or the expert in spiritual gifts, but I hope after the message today you could see what I, I'm talking about. So I want to ask, what are spiritual gifts? In our text, uh, in, in chapter 4, it says that by grace was given to each one of you according to the measure of Christ's gift. So what is a spiritual gift? There are many definitions, but one for the message I'd like to present to you as a working definition is this. Spiritual gifts are special abilities, or I would say uniquely divinely given abilities to us by the grace of God that enable us by the Spirit of God to build the church of Jesus Christ. Let me repeat it again. Spiritual gifts are special abilities given to us by the grace of God that enable us by the Spirit of God to build the church of Jesus Christ. We have been delivered from our sins. We have been rescued by Christ. We have been adopted as children into the family of God. We have, we have been predestined to be holy and blameless in His sight. Jesus shed His blood for our redemption. We have heard the word of truth. And by re repentance and faith, we've come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And as a result of that, as a result of being saved by grace, through faith, not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, so no one can boast, we have been given gifts or a gift. Ephesians 2.10, maybe you, wanna, you can just remember it. In Ephesians 2.10, it says this, We're God's workmanship, created in Christ to do good works, which He had planned in advance that we should walk in them. So what am I saying? I'm saying this morning that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you believe the gospel, if you've accepted Christ, if you've been born again and given this new life, God's done something wonderful. He's given you a gift. And that gift is to be used amongst this body and the larger church at all, in general to grow up each other, to help us come to maturity. So, if you have your Bibles, in Ephesians 4, we're going to walk through a couple of verses. Verse 7. I referred to it just a minute ago. But by grace, but by grace was given to each one of us. I want to stop. This is not a real complicated message. It's really basic stuff. You have been given a gift by grace. You, if you're a believer. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You didn't make a decision for it. God graciously gave you a spiritual gift. This came to my mind, but have you ever received a gift you weren't planning for? I mean, at Christmas, you kind of expect to get gifts, right? And on your birthday, you hope someone gives you a gift, right? No matter how, how humble we are. But, but in general, but have you ever just walked in a place and someone just gave you a gift? And you're like, what's this for? And they're just like, because. Because why? 
just because. Well, that gift is amazing. And that's what God's done through us, not just in salvation, but spiritually. Notice it says to each one of us. Second, if you're a follower of Christ, if you've been born again, you've been given a gift or gifts. So let me be clear. I want to state the obvious. If you are a child of God, if you're a Christian this morning in this room, every one of you have a gift or gifts. Third, they are really given by God. The author of this gift is, we see it in Scripture, both from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're intimately involved in giving our gifts. Just, just think about that. I'm not sure we believe it. I'm not sure I believe it. I do believe it, but it, do you see what I'm saying? Just think about you right now, where you are. God not only saved you from sin and yourself and from Satan and rescued you and gave you a new life in Christ and positionally placed you in heaven and gave you a new life with a heaven. We've been singing about heaven intentionally because that's our eternal destiny. We're on our way to the celestial city, as, as Bunyan wrote. But he he's, didn't just do that. He gave you a gift. He gave you something else you didn't deserve. And he gave you a gift or a set of gifts uniquely different than anybody else. And that's amazing. It says that it was measured out in this verse. Metaron is the Greek word. It's where we get the metronome of the musician. I know nothing about it, but I just know that I know what it looks like. It's a little box and it goes tick, 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 right? I mean, is that what it is? So I want to use this illustration. This is how God measured out your gifts. Musicians practice to improve their timing with that little tool, to keep them in regular tempo. It helps get this internal sense of timing. Composers or conductors use it as, a, as reference so people can sing and play and conduct to the metronome. It, it, it helps them to determine the beats per minute. It, it helps them indicate where they're at in the composition. It's used by conductors to keep the orchestra in perfect harmony. Why did I use that illustration? That is the way God has placed each one of the gifts in this local assembly, but also the larger body. Each one of us has been measured out, and he's, he's gifting the church, so when we start to work together in harmony, it's like tick, tick, tick. And if we're listening to him, if we're listening to the beat that comes from the Holy Spirit, it's kind of like tick, tick. You're lining up. The image we have here, just go with me for a moment, is that God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, meticulously plan, I believe, before the beginning of the world to uniquely design and save you and give you gifts so you can be in step, helping the rest of us live in perfect tempo with Christ. You see the consequences if we don't? If we're following the Lord, if we're walking in the Spirit, we're like a great orchestra. And I just, I, 
I know I get so excited and I, I don't know what to do and, and I, I haven't matured enough to, in my presentation to do this, but I just want to stand up here and scream with everything in me. If we're working together, we will be like an orchestra creating this unique, beautiful music to the world around us. Today's Super Bowl Sunday. Championship teams happen when people execute and play in tune with one another. St. Louis Crossing, that's the goal for us. If we're walking in the Spirit, if we're using our gifts, that's how it should be. And not just here for this hour. This hour may be easy to pull off. We can get the table set up. Marilyn can come and play. And Julie can help us lead singing. And Jake can do whatever Jake's doing over here on the sound and Zoom. And, and it just all kind of puts together. But it's more than that. We are the church. We're a part of a body. Your, your, your foot doesn't just say, I'm going to only show up one hour on Sunday. The foot is with this body all 168 hours of the week. And so we have been gifted so we together can be together all 168 hours. Not physically, but you know what I mean. That we're working together week, hour by hour, week by week, year by year, growing up in the grace of God. We should be thankful for this gift. When's the last time, I, just, I thought about this this week in my own life. When's the last time I just stopped and said, God, thank you for making me the way you made me. Thank you for giving me the gifts that you've given me. Can I tell you how most of us view that? It's like, uh, who am I? I've done this. I don't have very much brains and I'm not very talented. I can, I can list you all the things that I don't have. I'm not a good athlete. I am not very smart. I, I, I struggle with so many things. And, and those may be true, but God made me. Does, does that make sense to anybody else? God uniquely designed me. So if you've got a problem with me, take it up with God. <laughs> Not my sin. I hope I'm trying to... He's gifted us for eternal consequences for the measure of Christ. So I'd like for us to stop and think this morning. By the grace of God, the God of the universe, out of His desire... Gave you a gift. So maybe we should start considering that important. Maybe we shouldn't just blow it off. Maybe we shouldn't just treat it trivially. Maybe we should ask God what we should do with this gift. In real life, maybe we should change the way we approach spiritual gifts altogether. I just wonder if we all, and I, you notice I'm not even mentioned a gift. But I just wonder in this, if God's given every one of us a unique ability, I just wonder, we probably should never hear, I don't have anything I can do for the cause of Christ. That probably should never be heard of. We maybe should never have a need that remains unfulfilled in our body. Do you know that the sign of the New Testament church was they, they were all, had everything in common and, had, and were lacking nothing? Here's what I believe. I believe those of us that gather together at St. Louis Crossing, I believe that God has uniquely gifted us for what we need today. And if he desires us to do something else next, next Sunday, 
He will send people to us so they can grow. Now, we have, we have a role in that. We can run them off like, like the Old Testament people ran off the prophets. But do you, do you see what I'm saying? God has got everything he needs right here to do what he, we need to do this week in this building and in this body of believers. Amen. That's, that's good. We should never act like we don't have enough resources. We should, we should be seeking on how we can glorify God through Christ and the power of the Spirit with our gift. Let, let me, I, I, again, I'm just kind of probing here. Did you wake up this morning thinking about, hey, I wonder how I can use my spiritual gift to help the body of Christ that's going to gather on 800 North this morning? Why? If you didn't. We should see our body growing and building up and spreading the word of God. I read, I had 1 Corinthians to be read as scripture reading as a commentary on what we're talking about this morning. And I wanted that whole chapter read so you could hear what Paul's saying. Did you get a sense of what he was saying? We're, we're a part of this one big body and there's no part that's less important than the other parts. I just want to draw your attention, just, just turn there, Either flip there on your phone or turn there the old-fashioned way in, in your Bibles, which, Word of God, they can't change it um, if it's printed, just FYI. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. I want you to understand that no one speaking the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is cursed. No one can say Jesus is Lord except through the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, so there's diversity. The same Lord, there's unity. There are varieties of activity, same God. There it is again. And at the end of it, it says, for the common good in the ESV. For the common good. Your gift is not for you. Your gift is for the common good of the church. My gift is for the common good of the church. Verse 11, notice it ends this way. Who apportions, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he will. God wills our gifts. It's by God. God's designed you to be you because he loves you and he knows what's best for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. He talks about one body has many members, all members of the body. So it is with Christ. And then in verse 14, he says, The body does not consist of one member, but of many. The body does not consist of one member, but of many. We need each of you. Do you see that? 1 Corinthians 12, 18. God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Verse 27. You are the body of Christ, individual members of it. If you think, and what Paul's wanting to see here is if you think of the human body, how many of you want to do without one of your parts? There's a brother here we could ask how that works, and it doesn't work real well. In all seriousness, I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny. Even the parts that you don't think of often, like your little toe. Have, has your little toe ever hurt you? I mean, you're like, where did this thing come from? It's just killing me. Otherwise, you don't even know it. But aren't you glad it's there when you need it, right? That's what he's talking about. So in my remaining time here, before we get to what spiritual gift you need to use and what yours is, I'd like for us to turn to Romans 12. I'll walk through this pretty fast. And I'm, 
I'm going to do a two-part message on gifts just because I wanted to lay down the foundation here. How do you discover your spiritual gift? Now, you're going to be sadly mistaken and disappointed if you think I want you to use a spiritual gift test or inventory, take some kind of quiz. It's not at all what I want you to do. I, I stumbled onto this, and I'm borrowing and stealing this, and I want to go right down through it because I think it says what we need to say. How do we discover our gifts? Romans 12, 1 through 8. You can read that in total. But first of all, I want you to let's, let's draw our attention to verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul's saying the first thing that we should do in order to discover our gifts is to live and do everything we do in light of the mercy of God. Our lives should be lived in light of the gospel. Our lives should be lived in light of the gospel. When you're at work, your life should be lived in the light of the gospel. When you're with your family, whenever you're doing whatever, we should live in light of the gospel. We're about the gospel. Second, in order to discover, and we'll, you'll find out where we're going, your gift, it says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So I would say in view of God's mercy, as we start in faith in Christ, we present our bodies a living sacrifice. I talked about what the church was last week. This is not for those that, of anyone here or anybody that's not been born again. They don't need to worry about their spiritual gifts. If you're not in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, don't worry about your spiritual gift. What you need to concern yourself with this morning is to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only message you need to worry about. Without being born again, you have no spiritual gift. However, when you repent and trust in him, you receive a spiritual gift. So we present it to, to Christ as a sacrifice. If you would go to Romans 6, you would say, Paul is saying that, that our former way of life, we were slaves to sin. We were offering our bodies to sin and to the world. And what he's saying in Romans 12 is, now you need to present your body to God as a living sacrifice. The image is this. Dear friends, listen to me. What I'm about to say is I think where we miss the power in our spiritual life. It's a big, bold statement. Every day, every moment, we need to be saying, Lord, I'm yours. Command me. Use me. Use my life to, to bring glory to yourself. Lord, I'm giving you to use me in this situation as service to you. When do we do that? Well, sure, when we begin our faith journey, we, we do that. 
But do you realize the Old Testament was about sacrifices and they would bring animals in and kill them and sprinkle their blood over an altar and burn them and all kinds of other stuff. That system's gone. It was to point us to the sacrifice of Jesus. It was to point us to the one sacrifice that would save us. And now, as a response of living for Christ, we don't have to go to this cruel, unusual, weird animal sacrifice system. We're, we're coming before the altar, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. We're throwing ourselves, if you will, on the altar of God and saying, I'm yours, I'm yours, I'm yours. What would happen if we said, God, I'm yours. Use my hands, use my feet, use my eyes, use my mouth. Lord, take me. Use my pain, use my agony, use my trials, use my tribulations. Lord, I want you to use me so I can glorify you. Next, he says, don't be conformed to the world. He uses the word, be holy and pleasing to God. You'll be able to understand your spiritual gifts better when you put sin to death. We'll never know how God uniquely designed us if we're allowing sin in our lives to cloud our vision. There's things going on in your life that, that are that are separating your relationship between you and God, not, not, I don't mean internally, but there's sin in your life and you haven't repented of it and you haven't got right with God. We don't talk like that a lot in the church anymore, but we need to because if you're living in sin, the things of God are not going to appear to you clearly. We need discernment. And so what Paul's saying is we've got to be holy and acceptable. It's our act of worship. So the more we get right with God, if you will, the more we align ourselves. Remember the metronome. The more we get in sync with God, we can see things clearly. Romans 12.1 says, don't be conformed. Don't act like the world. Don't do that. Don't let the world squeeze you into their mold. Don't think about your life the way the world wants you to think about your life. But rather think about it the way God wants you to think about it. Don't build your life on the wood, hay, and stubble that's going to burn one day. But build your life on the things that when judgment day comes, that is not going to perish in the fire of judgment. Do you hear what he's saying? In other words, we say this a lot in Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And do you guys know what the rest of the verse is? And these things shall be what? Added unto you. What's he adding? He's adding spiritual gifts. He's given us his grace, his mercy. He's doing all these things for us here and now. Notice he says, before we get to the remainder of verses, is to be transferred, transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we do that? We stay in the book. We aren't going to offer anything else here but the word of God. Period. You didn't come to hear me think about what I needed, what I, my opinions about everything else. We, I don't, you don't care, nor should you. I don't care what man's opinions are. I care what the word of God says. And the goal of this moment in our life of our church is to try to help us understand it. But you should be a Berean and search the word of God. We need to hear good preaching. 
And I was going to make some kind of silly remark. But we need people who are willing to study the Scriptures and stand up and try to communicate that to us. We need good teaching in the church. We need Sunday school teachers and people to lead our children. We need to read good Christian books. We need to have a daily rhythm of intake of word and prayer. And if I couldn't, just I just want to stop. I'm almost done. People ask me if I could redo things. Jake, you did a project and you asked me about this. If I could go back and redo anything when I was raising kids, Kim and I were raising, the girls were at home. I'm just going to tell you the one thing I wish I would have done differently. So I see some of you, you've got kids around here. I, I wish we would have been more disciplined in our family worship time. We'd start it and stop it. We'd read it sometimes and not sometimes. We always prayed, but I wish I'd have been more intentional with my girls. I wish sometimes I went to less church meetings and spent more time at home. It's not too late for me. That's why I'm, I'm so bent on my grandkids. Men, the world would tell you all kinds of things about your manhood. But I'm going to look you in the eye and tell you something. The most important job you have is to be the spiritual leader in your home. Women, that doesn't mean you can, there's things, that, but I'm talking to men. I'm a man. I'm talking to men. The world would be a better place. Children, I don't care if you're three years old, Hayden, or I don't care if you're 20-some-year-old Styler Merrick. We're all children. Listen to me. When your dad is trying to be the spiritual leader in your home, you need to listen to him. You need to support him. Kids, you have a role here too. And that's to respond obediently to your parents. To listen to what they say. Ladies, support your husbands. Support the men in your life to take on that role. You might say, well, that's, it's not, not about spiritual gifts. And my time's up. But I think one of the very first places we learn to use our spiritual gifts are in our homes. Both mom and dad and sons and daughters. So when we start doing that, start transforming our minds, we're to be thinking people. And I'll end with this illustration and we'll continue next week. When you get that right, what happens is you start... God's the Holy Spirit starts saying, prompting you, and you somebody may ask you, Do you want to preach? 
Yeah, I'll try. And like, a, like the people in the gold rush in California, panning for gold or mining for gold, you get the gold. And there's a, there's a person called an assayer, A-S-S-A-Y-E-R. I didn't know what one was till I stumbled on it in my studies, but it's a person who tests minerals or ore to see if they're what, how pure they are, if they're the real deal, if it's fool's gold or real gold. And so I end with that illustration to say what we're doing with Romans 12 is we're getting our hearts right. We're getting, and we're, we're some, there's, there's a guy in here that's got the gift of mercy that I, I will never have. I don't even know how you think like that. But I've watched, I've watched him pan for gold, so to speak, in his spiritual gift, and, and, he, and you bring it to the assayer, and they say, well, that's, that's the real thing, and that's what the church is doing. And, and so that's how we're doing it. We're bringing it before the Lord, and we're saying, Lord, is this the gift you want? This is my life in line with you. Is this how it's going to be? Does that make sense to anybody? I felt like it made sense when I was working on it. And that's what we should be doing. I'll use one last sports analogy. I was listening to a, a podcast, as I do, and, and they were just talking about making decisions, and they were talking about a basketball game, and they said, you know, there's one thing you got to do in a basketball game, no matter what, no matter how good your defense is, no matter how well you execute your plays, all those things, there's something you got to do. Does, does anybody in here know what's the one thing you got to do in basketball? It's the obvious. Anybody? Score. How, you, how do you score? You got to take a shot. I mean, I can't believe I've been sitting in this gym with nobody's yelling. You got to shoot the ball. You got to put the rock in the hole. What's the analogy? You got to get involved in the game here, folks. You got to, you got to, you got to get in the game. You got to take a shot. Well, I, I don't know if I can teach kids. I, who, who cares? Try. You find out. Well, I don't like that. Okay. Well, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I can sing. No, I can't sing. Well, I don't, I don't know if I can preach. But oh, I, but you know what I can do? I have the gift of hospitality. I'm, I'm all about that, or whatever it is. We're going to talk about that next week. But you got to get in the game. It's time to get out of the bleachers and it's time to get in the game because there's a world that's lost and dying and going to hell and God's uniquely positioned us here to glorify him with the gospel. Father, I pray that uh, somehow in all that mess that you would speak to us through your word. We're gonna sing, Father, as you know, even before he did it, and uh, don't let us just sing and so we can leave, but Lord, let us sing, I surrender all. What is it that somebody here today needs to surrender? Lord, it's a constant list in front of me between you and I, and I just, just hope that you continue to bring things in my life that I need to surrender. Anxiety, um, fear, maybe it's laziness in, in the ministry, maybe it's just not being in your word, maybe it's a sin Maybe it's our lives. Maybe we just need to throw our lives on the altar this morning. Maybe somebody here has never said, Jesus, I'm yours, I'm yours, and needs to be saved today. Today is the day of salvation. Father, do something in our midst as we sing.